So I'm speaking today on grace, gratitude, and growth. And we're seeing a pattern in, the, uh, in Acts of the early church. And it's, it's a simple model, but it's a compelling one. So I want to start by reading from Acts 2, 46 and 47. It says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is a, it's a simple and exciting model, and I want to offer today that, that this is a model as, covenant, as, as Monument Church here, that we can, <laughs> as Monument Church, that we can seek after. And it's simple, and it's something that's powerful. So it's, it's a model that they received grace from God. It says they enjoyed their food with glad and generous hearts. So they were grateful. They expressed their praise to God when they received good from God. And then what was the result? It was that God added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Um, so as a church, when, when we understand the grace of God, we're going to be grateful, and God's going to grow our church. He's going to draw in people and save people. So we're told as, as Americans we have a unique brand of entitlement that we, we feel like we deserve. And actually we've caricatured this person as um, you may be familiar with the term uh, Karen. This is somebody who goes up and complains and says, I want to speak to the manager, my food is cold, or um, that, that is always kind of complaining at the expense of somebody else that they, they want something. We've, we've gone so far as to, to categorize this person just so collectively we can feel better that we're not Karen. <laughs> and my, my experience, so this week I was sitting in my, in my second vehicle. We have, we have two cars as a family, and I was, it was, the air conditioning was on, and I was, I was browsing the Internet on my phone, waiting to go into a nice lunch. And I was complaining how slow the internet page was loading. And I realized, I'm Karen without the Bob haircut. That's, that's me. I've got a complaining attitude in my heart that, that it, I just deserve a faster internet speed at all times. And um, what I want to offer today is that we, we live in an entitled culture, but we can shine like lights that really is a compelling witness to our, our culture that causes that growth, causes salvation, and shows people the grace of God. So we're going to start briefly with talking about grace. So God offers to us as believers, this is a, a perpetual wellspring of reasons to be grateful. Without, without Jesus, let me just start there, without Jesus, our gratefulness, our, our experience of gratitude is going to be tied to things that are temporal, they're going to be tied to our health. Oh, we're healthy. Okay. We have friends and community. Okay. Oh, our air conditioner died. All right. I'm, I'm not as grateful. Or I, oh, I'm in love. We're, we're in love. Oh, she likes Tiffany's. We're, you know, we have this constant draw in our heart to either gratitude or entitlement or contentment based on what we have. But through God, through his grace, we have this wellspring this constant source for steady, steady gratitude. And often as believers, we can even look similar to our culture with the entitlement. We can say, God, I've obeyed today. I've had a good week. And, but my, my internet's slow. Why, why is this God? Your favorite son, aside from Jesus. <laughs> I've done everything right this week. I've read my Bible. I didn't look at porn. I'm, I'm a good person this week. And I deserve good from you. But that's not grace. That's just entitlement with a spiritual twist. 
what we need is God's grace to motivate us. And what is God's grace? It's that God who owes us nothing, it says in Romans, uh, let's see, Romans 11.35, that who is given to God that God should repay him? So God who owes us nothing takes away what? Your stuff? Your health? No, he takes away your sin, your guilt, and he gives you what? What you deserve? No, he gives us sonship, daughtership, an inheritance in heaven, peace in your soul, untouchable love and acceptance. And Ephesians 1.3 says, every spiritual gift in the heavenly places. So God who owes you nothing, takes away your sin, gives you every spiritual blessing. That is grace. And that is the steady motivation for gratitude. So it says in, um, so I'm going to move on to gratitude. So it says that, that God, in, in Scripture, God calls us to an expressive, effusive gratitude. And it says you actually look like a star in the sky when you do this. Um, uh, in Philippians 2, it says, Do everything without grumbling so that you may shine among a corrupt culture like stars in the sky. So as, as we're grateful, as we express our gratefulness, we're going to stand out like stars in the sky. Did you guys happen to see Mars this week? Mars is the brightest that it's ever been. You saw it, Dylan, yeah. We actually took our, um, we took our telescope out this week. The telescope that is like, yeah, you it's like you're this much closer to the star. Um, but the stars in the sky are beautiful, right? They stand out. They're like little diamonds. There's hundreds of top hit songs that have been driven by the beauty of stars in the sky. Imagine a totally pitch black sky. That is what it would be like with an ungrateful church. We don't, we want to be those, those sparkly lights in the sky that draw our eye and, and cause people over generations to just write music because they can't help themselves. Um, and when, when, when we're tempted in, in just with, with relationships and with our connections to be ungrateful, because there's just a gravity towards ungratefulness, to entitlement, is, uh, you know, when, when we say, I wish my weekend was longer, or my kids are acting up, or the traffic is bad, or I hate 2020, God has given us grace in 2020 beyond what we deserve. If our candidate isn't elected in 2020, guess who's the rock of ages? Jesus, the almighty king of kings, who steers kings' hearts like water. And he gives grace freely to his sons and daughters. And that doesn't change. So Christians, we must be grateful. And lastly, growth. So I just want to pray. I want to pray that God would give us that heart of gratitude that is steadied on his grace. So I'm going to pray for us that as we receive grace from God, we would be we would be grateful um, and that people would be added. So, Lord, we just pray for growth. We pray for revival. We pray for salvation. We pray that as your people, we would be grateful, steadied by your grace, that our gratitude wouldn't be up and down roller coaster of, of we have, we have not, and we deserve or we're, um, we're content with what we have. But, Lord, we just want to be grateful because your grace is awesome and because you deserve praise. Lord, draw people like stars. It says we'll, we'll be like stars and that people will be added to our number as, we, as we're grateful. Lord, we pray for that in your name. Amen. Amen. So if I can take our attention just back to uh, the
this passage of scripture in, in verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to four things. So devotion is a key word, not just casual when you feel like it. They were devoted to the teaching of the word of God. <clears throat> and it's interesting that that comes first. That's our, that's our foundation, right? And then look at what comes second, the fellowship. The fellowship. We'll talk about that in the weeks ahead. And then third, to the breaking of bread and fourth, to prayers. Now, I'm talking about, uh, just for a few minutes, the breaking of bread, uh, which is the, the second sacrament. We've just seen one today, baptism. Uh, and these sacraments, baptism and the breaking of bread, or bread and wine, or juice and wafer. Baptism and this are physical signs and, and physical pictures of spiritual things. That's why they're so wonderfully helpful to us. And I want to just take us through four things that will help us as we're people who take communion fairly regularly. Because uh, doing the right thing is important, but we want to do it with the right understanding as well. We don't want it to be uh, a dead ritual. And I think I'll use that other microphone. So the first is the bread and the wine is a, a physical reminder of our factual foundation of faith. Uh, AKA it is radiation, you know, like radiation attacks cancer. It's radiation to mysticism. What do I mean by that? Well, it's a physical reminder of the factual foundation of our faith because Jesus said, do this to remember me. He was saying, you do it to remember me, that God became man, a historical figure, a real figure. When we take communion together, it earths us, not in emotional mysticism, not that emotion's bad, being overly mystical is, but it earths us. It, we, we actually sort of feel it and touch it and taste it. Our faith is on the God-man, Jesus Christ. It's a reminder to us of the weekends that changed the world when Jesus died and rose from the dead. Uh, and it is factual. If you're exploring faith, please don't throw your head out the window. It's not stupid people become Christians. It's people with brains become Christians. Some of us come into the Christian faith heart first and then our head catches up. Others come in head first, pulled in by the overwhelming weight of evidence and then our heart warms up. Uh, but the, remember that the Romans, the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities, the two power forces in Israel at the time were the ones who crucified Jesus. They both wanted him dead. Both power structures did not want uh, to, to be embarrassed by the thought of this person who they killed rising from the dead. If you kill someone, that you want them to die, right? It's embarrassing if you're Romans. We can't even crucify someone properly. He's now living again. They had every motive just to produce the body of Jesus. There'd have been this huge hunt for the body of Jesus. And they weren't squeamish in those days. They'd have just stuck the body up on a pole in the marketplace. The historical evidence for the resurrection for Jesus is overwhelming. And communion reminds us of that. Mysticism is overstating the role of emotions. We love emotions. We want to be emotionally passionate about Jesus, not just about football or hockey or whatever your, your game is, your sport is. We want to be emotionally passionate about Jesus. But our faith is not built on emotions. Our faith doesn't rise and fall on, did I encounter God? Do I feel the presence of God today? And communion is a, is a meal that... That, that earths us afresh in the factual foundation of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Secondly, this meal earths us in the factual foundation, um, uh, sorry, um, 
Secondly, this meal is a physical reminder that Jesus is our Savior and our King. Savior means I'm saved from the penalty of my sin, past, present, and future. Savior, he's my Savior. The challenging bit is, is he your king? And is he my king? Or is he like a British royal? I'm British. And the Brits who love the royals, we like them because they kind of make us feel better. Kind of royal headship and... We, like, we, like, we love to bring them out on, you know, special ceremonies and have them up on their balcony and, and they wave, you know, in a royal way. But they don't tell us what to do as Brits. They just, they're just figureheads. They're, they're, they're royals, but not really kings. They don't have any authority in our lives. And friends, that's the big danger of our faith in our day for us, that we enjoy Jesus as Savior, but when he says something that we don't like, we say, well, we're, we're going to choose that. Communion reminds us that he is our Lord, not just our Savior, because Paul said to the Corinthians, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Within his death is, is him being a savior, but he says, you proclaim the Lord's death. Is he your Lord or just your savior? Are you like Thomas Jefferson when you tear it? He literally tore out the parts, the pages of the Bible that he didn't like. No, we embrace the whole Bible, whether we like it or not, because Jesus is our king. He's our Lord, not just our savior. Amen. And that's why Christianity isn't for everybody. He's our king. He's our Lord. We obey him. We march to his tune, not the tune of the world. And it's not always popular. But we don't bend to accommodate. No, we're followers of Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord, not just our Savior. And this meal earths us in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds us that he's our Savior, but also our Lord. Thirdly, and this is a beautiful one, it's a physical celebration of what the gospel achieved. Legalism, could you all please say legalism? That's trying to earn your salvation. Whereas the grace of God is receiving. So legalism, earn, gospel or grace is receive. And the unique thing about the Christian faith is it's a gospel that's received, not earned. Earned, we're told very clearly, it's the gift of God. It's not something that we earn. And if, if you and I drift into a legalistic form of the gospel, it actually isn't the gospel at all, then our relationship with God gets based on, am I pleasing you? As Jimmy was saying, am I doing enough? And because our horizontal relationship, our vertical relationship very quickly becomes our horizontal relationship, soon our, this, this legalistic transactional element comes into our relationships with other people. So what can I get out of them? And I'm, am I pleasing you enough? And if I do something against you, I fear that you'll reject me. But, and, and if you do something against me, I'll reject you. And we get this ridiculous thing, this satanic thing of shunning, Christians shunning other Christians. I mean, there's a place for church discipline and putting people out. But it's, it's all built on a legalistic foundation of, am I doing enough, Lord? Or no, maybe I don't think I am. So I think you're going to shun me and there's distance between us. And then that's how we begin to treat others. It's absolutely sick. It's another gospel altogether. So is it earning or receiving? Well, the the devil is the accuser of the brethren, and he wants to teach us that Christianity is about earning God's favor. But Jesus, the grace of God, says, no, it's about receiving God's favor, God's forgiveness. And if you drift into earning, 
uh, you won't be happy at all because enough is never enough. Am I pleasing you? Am I doing enough? Well, you could always do more. And as we get into earning, we become either Pharisees or failures in our own eyes. We'll either get proud about how we're doing, which itself is a sin, or we'll despair about how we're doing. And despair always leads to sin because we have to find relief and hope in other things and stuff, don't we? Communion is death to legalism. It forces us to freshly receive. I'm receiving this. I'm appropriating the forgiveness of God. I'm reminding myself that this is a gift. I'm, I'm literally internalizing. I'm eating. I'm drinking of the forgiveness of God. There's nothing legalistic. There's nothing earned about this. And when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, take and eat. There's a command piece. I think Jesus would have said it gently, but with probably steel in his eyes. Take and eat. He was saying, receive, not earn. Take it. I've done it. Take it. Eat it. Chew on it. Know that the forgiveness of God in you is based on the grace of God, not your good works or, or bad works. I'm forgiven. I'm washed. The story is told of Robert the Bruce. You know who, who he is from, um, well, maybe you don't, but he, he, he was sort of Lord Protector in Scotland and became king. He was a lord and became king. And the story is told that he was being chased by the British soldiers once with their horses and their dogs sniffer hunter dogs and the story's told that he found a river and he went into the river and he walked up the river a couple of miles and came out the other side and he went on to Edinburgh to, to take the throne and so on and, and the sniffer dogs and the, the English soldiers came to the river and, and the scent was gone it had been washed away washed away by, by the water washed away for us, us here by the blood no scent, your scent is gone it's been washed away. This reminds us of that. The blood of Jesus has, has covered my sin, has taken my sin away. I've eaten of the bread of life, that the scent is gone. You know, the Bible says you're hidden in Christ. When the devil looks for you, he can't find you, he finds Jesus. You're hidden in Christ. The righteousness of Christ is now yours. Do not let the devil accuse you. And this meal is death to accusation. It's death to legalism. And it promotes and reminds us of the forgiveness of God. This meal takes us to the place of Jesus on the cross who cried out, it is finished. Tetelestai, paid in full. They st still apparently stamp that. Tetelestai, paid in full. The debt for your sin is paid in full. Don't be accused. This meal takes us to that place. This meal takes us to the law of double jeopardy. You all Americans know about that one. You can't be judged. When an offense has been made and someone's been... Being, being tried for it, it can't then be raised again. Jesus has been judged for my sin, found guilty for my sin. I now cannot be judged for my sin. He's been judged for my sin. I now stand in righteousness. And this meal reminds me of that. It celebrates what the gospel has achieved for me. And then finally, this is a community meal. Jesus said, do this together. Some churches who have not been able to meet with COVID online, they're not doing communion. Because they said, this is something that we do together. Whilst we cannot meet, let's mourn and grieve 
that we're not together and we can't do communion. Others encourage people to take it as individuals. But the point here is that Jesus said it's a community meal. Paul did as well, writing to the Corinthians. He, sa- he said to them, don't drink and eat too much. <laughs> it was a proper meal that they had together. And, and, and he spoke about family etiquette of taking the meal. This is not meant to be something that we all go into our little shell and do. So we try and when we take communion, we try usually, not always, but usually we try to do something that cultivates a community feel. Like come to the front and pick up your communion. Or let's get into groups and pray, drink and uh, eat and drink together. And, And a few of you in the group say a prayer about thanking God for his death and his resurrection and the forgiveness that's now ours. We deliberately try and do things that promote communion, uh, community as we take this meal. And our individualistic Western bias doesn't like that, does it? For many of us, when, when it comes to communion, it's, oh no, does that mean I have to move around? Does that mean I have to bump shoulders with people? Does that mean I have to talk to people, be in a group? praying with people, that's, we just need to be aware of the, the, the strengths and weaknesses of our culture. Our culture pulls us towards being individuals. The Bible pushes us towards being a community, a family of God together. And this meal reminds us of that. It's a collective raising of the glass. You know how they do that, do that at events. Let's raise our glasses together. Communion's got that feel about it. It's like we raise our glass to you, Jesus whose blood was shed and and body was broken. And we eat together this meal. Now, sometimes we take it in a very tender way and we do just give each other space. But the feel in Scripture is that this is a community meal. This was one of the things that the early church did, one of the characteristics of the early church that they were devoted to. And I think we could say it another way, devotion to breaking of bread, drinking of the wine, communion. Devotion to that is really a devotion to being a Jesus-centered church, a gospel-centered church, that this takes us right back always to Jesus, the God-man Jesus. He is the essence of our faith and the foundation of our faith and the sustainer of our faith. And we drink in the grace and the forgiveness of God afresh. And it's so tangible, isn't it? We're actually touching, we're actually feeling the bread and the wine.